All right, we are live with Around the Mat. Welcome back. I'm Conscious Keelan, your host, the giver of the points and or the poots. Coming to you first, introducing the man, the myth, the fedora-wearing legend, Brandon McCatherine. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the show. We also have joining us today, as always, Matt Scaff. Brandon, you had a very Ron Burgundy vibe right there. So, <laughs> starting off the show well. <laughs> we also have returning guest, Drew Weatherhead. Sup, peoples? Today, this week, we have a new guest joining us. We have Tim Freeman. What's up, everybody? All right, so let me, those of you that are joining us for the first time, let me introduce everybody over here on the side, like kind of what they do. So, Scaff, kind of just quick background on um, who you are and what you do, like jujitsu. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a first degree black belt in the 10th Planet System. I am not a moonhead. I, I teach here alongside Brandon. Um, some people say that all of Brandon's best techniques have come from the mind of Scaff. Um, so One only, person says that. Okay, only a couple <laughs> people have said that. But no, it's been an honor uh, to you know really learn to, and to mentor under Brandon for many years, and uh, yeah, that, that's who I am. I'm a first degree black belt under the man, the myth, the fedora wearing legend. <laughs> I I gotta know first before we carry on with my credentials if those are actually your kids' belts in the background. Is that what you went? Those are all the ranks that you held. Those previously? are these are all Brandon's belts. That's how close me and Brandon are. That I watch over his belts. Damn. <laughs> make sure nobody touches. Brandon's I feel like some belts. of those are made up. I think those he just my, made up extra ones. Those are my Tung Su Do belts on the bottom. And oh, okay. Yeah, so they're made up for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. I am uh, also a black belt, a zero degree black belt. I, I don't. I always wonder, like, is first degree the first one or is it the first degree? I've never had I had a good answer for that, but I my my belt is black, and I am the um, the creator of Because Jitsu. So all the memes that you like out there and share and uh, harass and bully your white and blue belt friends with, those are my creations. And yeah, uh, I'm here to also give hot takes and to hurt people's feelings and get those points. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Tim Freeman. Uh, I am a black belt in the gi. I have one degree on my belt and uh, I am not a black belt on 10th planet yet. That's coming someday. And uh, I am the moonhead out at 10th planet Stockton. I just moved out to Nashville. And we're opening a gym out here, and I'm super stoked. I am the host of the Inside BJJ podcast, and uh, I'm super happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to have you guys. Of course, I'm excited to have Scaff always. Drew, these people are old hat, but Tim, he's new to the area, 10th Planet Nashville now. And Tim was actually, um, Open Matt was the first jujitsu podcast that I ever heard. But then after that, the first one that I really got into was the Inside BJJ podcast. Yeah, I remember that because you're a guitar playing fool, man. I remember, I remember that, dude. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I was super, I was super into that show, man. Back yeah. Hey, can we qualify something really quick for the yeah. people that didn't hear the pre the preamble outside? Was um, yeah. so Tim is a moonhead, and I, that's apparently not an insult. That's a that's a certification. Brandon, are you also a moonhead? Oh, I'm a moonhead. Damn. 
Scaff, we're against a couple moonheads today. How does that make you yeah. feel? Mm, I've been going against moonheads for a long time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this sounds <laughs> it sounds like a video game thing, like a, some RPG character is a moonhead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Keelan, give everybody a little rundown on how exactly the game works and what we're going to be up to here. Yeah, so we've got some topics. Here they are. Check them out. Um, we're going to go through here. I'm going to ask for y'all's take on these topics. And I'll just kind of distribute points as accordingly. So, like, we'll, uh, we'll start with this one. Gilbert Burns, grappling. Gilbert Burns is a UFC guy. Um, he just had a fight this past weekend. Showed some good grappling, etc. Let's talk about it. Where does his grappling rank amongst jujitsu guys, and where does his grappling rank in the UFC? So I'll go. I'll go ahead and start this bad boy off. Okay. So Gilbert Burns had, in my opinion, a phenomenal performance. Now it wasn't as exciting. Um, he was getting booed a little bit because people were getting used to the super exciting Gilbert Burns that goes out there, one punch knockouts. He has had a phenomenal UFC run that led him to fight for the title, and he had a really good title fight against Kamara Usman. This was a big fight for him, though. He needed to win this fight to reassert himself as the number one or number two contender. And he did something that nobody else has been able to do. He took down Wonder Boy in every single round. I was shocked that he took Wonder Boy down as easily as he did. He took him down with a couple of different techniques. He shot from the outside. He got him to the cage. He used body locks. He used single legs. I was so impressed with this performance. It really made me kind of question, what is Gilbert Burns' ceiling? I've been high on Gilbert Burns, but I am way higher after this weekend. I am definitely buying Gilbert Burns' stock. And I think if you just look at the 170-pound division, there's a really good argument to be made that he is the best overall grappler. And some people would say that he may be the best overall grappler in the UFC, especially now that Khabib is gone. That mantle is open. And with the wrestling he displayed and then obviously being a world champion in jiu-jitsu and an ADCC medalist, I really think the sky's the limit for this guy. And I think he has the potential to be the next Brazilian jiu-jitsu UFC champion. Yeah. All right. So before I get into my breakdown on the fight, I, I'm really curious, is there actually a stock for Gilbert Burns? Like if there's a crypto, uh, what would that be? A gib? Can I get a few gib from you, Scott? Because... <laughs> Get so I, I was having this yeah, conversation with a couple of Because he's short yeah. Nano right now. That's <laughs> big facts, man. Yeah. Don't let him forget. Um, I had a couple of students that were talking about the fights the day before at an open mat. And they were saying, well, I mean, Gilbert is obviously the underdog in this one. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I feel like Wonder Boy's in a lot of trouble going into this fight. And they couldn't believe it. It's like, no way. Like, Wonder Boy's going to absolutely kill in this fight. I'm like, listen, Gilbert needs to grab him once. He just needs to grab him. And just like Scaff said, he was able to do that every single round. And I think he would have been able to do that for 10 more rounds in perpetuity. He just has a way of getting a hold of somebody, finding his in. It's, it's not quite GSP level, but it's that type of thing where you don't think he's going to shoot and then he's on you. And then you're, you're working from the back foot, right? So there was a, a couple really good shots that led into some cage work. And there was a sick ass takedown where he got a body lock and like spun him 180 and took him down. Like, 
people do not understand the level of Gilbert Burns grappling for the typical casual MMA fan, and they're, they're just expecting Wonder Boy to do something wondrous. He was never going to win that fight, in my opinion. I think Gilbert wins that fight most most times. Nine out of ten times he wins that fight. Um, I never bet on the lucky punch, and I feel like that's what uh, Wonder Boy needed was a lucky punch in that one. Now, before I get off the topic, though, I want to shit on Dana White a little bit. Because in the post-fight press conference, he's singing everybody's praises, even the undercard guys, because they got knockouts and submissions. And then he's, he's like legitimately, seriously shit on his own co-main event for the guy that he is going to be having to give another title shot to pretty soon. I think that's age is bad business. But B, when did this guy become a casual? When is he the stand him up guy? Because that was, you couldn't ask for something better as a grappler, you know, from Gilbert's side. That was the perfect strategy. Sure, he didn't get him submitted, but look, he had him Khabibed on the ground against the cage for the majority of the dominant parts of every round. Like, if this were Khabib, because his stock is so high, he'd be like, oh, it's so amazing. He dominated, but it's because it's Gilbert. What does Gilbert got to do? You know what I mean? As I predicted, Gilbert Burns wins the fight and he wins it with the same strategy that I predicted. So we said coming in last week that uh, Stephen Thompson, he's phenomenal on the feet, but Gilbert Burns is phenomenal on the feet too. Gilbert Burns has two great ways to win and Stephen Thompson has one great way to win. And Gilbert kept it even on the feet and then he utilized his grappling to dominate so the question though like we're breaking down the fight but the question was let's talk about gilbert burns grappling is it the best in the ufc right and i think that you can make the argument that he might be the best overall grappler in the ufc especially like i don't know if you got to say that he's the best wrestler i don't know if you're going to say that he's the best pure submission artist but I think you got to say at this point, again, like to Scaff's credit, with Khabib out of the picture, with Khabib off the table, who takes that crown? Man, he can put people down and he can control them. And what I love about his grappling is that he's able to control and dominate and stop guys from getting up. Steven's an expert at getting back to his feet. He's an expert yeah. at using that cage to go back up and to stop people from taking him down. And I almost said Khabib. And Burns was able to get him down. Yes. Close the Hey, closing the range on Steven Thompson. That's one, one of those shots was from so far away. Yeah, like the he first took one. one shot was the very first shot that he took yeah. from so far away. I know he had that great body lock takedown, but the one that impressed me was he closed the range, the kickboxing range with a shot, which is super dangerous, but his timing was perfect and he got the takedown off of it. So. Yeah, I think that his level of control is perfect for fighting. He's able to hold people down and punish them and wear them out and exhaust them. And, yes, I do think that Gilbert Burns is the premier grappler in MMA right now. So, I I mean, it's it's really hard to go Gilbert Burns not a good grappler. I mean, that's an, nobody's going to take that, that side of the equation. Um, I'm not surprised that – he's doing so well with his grappling. I mean that I knew Gilbert Burns is a jujitsu guy. That's how I knew of him. I should say like when he showed up in the UFC, I was like, Oh, that's the jujitsu Gilbert Burns. So, and he was already world-class level already at that time. He was a very, very high level grappler. So for him to, you know, make the jump, be successful, not that huge of a surprise there. 
there has been though, I think an overall just let down and like jujitsu guys going to MMA and we're like, yeah, they're going to represent and submit everybody. And a lot of times <laughs> it's, it's a lot of times like, yeah, man, it, it's not, not that great. Um, you know, with Demi and Maya kind of winding out his career, I would say it's a pretty strong argument that Burns is probably the most well-rounded grappler out there right now. Like, like I think you guys are right. He might not be the best wrestler or he might not be the best submission artist, but he puts it all together with his striking in a very intelligent way. So it's hard to argue against that. But don't get too happy with the ding-ding because here's here's the thing. Taking Steven Thompson down right now at his point in his career is not that – I don't think it's that big of a feat. I really don't. He's, oh, he's, come on. Listen, listen. He's got, he's got bum knees, all right? He's getting older. It's not that big of a surprise. Everybody knows his game. Gilbert Burns has watched it. The playbook is out on him. He closed the distance and got the takedown. I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I honestly didn't. Okay, so the next fight for Wonder Boy, if he goes up against somebody with okay grappling, he gets taken down because of his bum knees? Yes. And I'll come back, I'll come back gonna, on the show. I was going to say, gonna, that's a poo-worthy statement. <laughs> I'll bet you some gibbets. I'm already right. off again. I'm already off of that. That crashed already. <laughs> Damn. Damn, son. You playing? So, you, you shorten the gib. So yeah, that's right. Here's the big question, all right? There's two big questions. In the 170-pound division, how does he his grappling stack up in an MMA fight against Colby Covington and Kamara Usman? And would you rather have T-City's grappling, Charles Olivier's grappling, or Gilbert Burns grappling? It depends on who you're fighting, right? 100%. Like, I, I think if I was fight, I mean, Burns – I think he's a better grappler than Covington. Like Covington's a good fighter. He's got a lot of heart. He stays in there. He mixes it up well. But I, 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 you know, I don't think he's well-rounded enough in terms of the grappling expertise. Um, Usman, you know, let's see. Usman, uh, I, I think Burns is a better grappler than Usman, but I don't know if Burns could beat Usman. Right, so I would rather have Brian Ortega's jujitsu against Usman if I was going to fight Usman. I'd rather have that because Ortega is a very classic Gracie jujitsu, the freaking Torrance lineage. It's very strike oriented, very much self defense oriented, uh, and you can see how much success he's had with that jujitsu already. And I think he got kind of bit by the striking bug, which he strikes so much, but his jujitsu is great for getting finishes. I'd rather have his jujitsu against Usman. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd fully agree with that because I think if there was a grappling exchange between Kamara Usman and um, and uh, Fancy Boy, what's his name uh, with the hair? Ortega. 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 Yeah. Um, if there was a, a grappling exchange, it would be because uh, Kamara instigated it. There's no way that it goes the other way around. There's zero chance that he would be able to force a grappling fight against Usman because I mean uh, we saw Gilbert try to do that and well I mean he didn't really try to do that because I think that it wouldn't be a good exchange because again like what Brandon was saying his overall grappling is great but his wrestling I don't think is as high and that's necessary to take it to the ground right so Ortega would probably never see the ground against an Usman who would just keep him standing and knock him out whereas um, I think that Burns it probably kind of negates at the wrestling I didn't see him get you know, taken down. Uh, I don't see him taking Usman down, and then it just comes down to who's banging harder that day. 
move on down the list because oh no people, this one's sad we have some people interested <sighs> so, let's talk about it ryan hall he uh what, what do y'all think about his strategy what do you think about the fight i'll go first so y'all know let's can we pour one out for ryan hall real quick please <laughs> Dude. I think all the people that said Ryan's the best MMA grappler need a poop. <laughs> yeah. We need to put those people in a Vitamix. Well, that was me. I didn't say best MMA grappler. I said best jujitsu player in MMA. And, and hey, pull me back up to the solo queue and let me say something. I stand beside that because what I think happened on Saturday night to Ryan Hall had very little, if anything, to do with his jujitsu. All right. It had to do with his boxing, his boxing. He's not confident enough in his boxing to engage in a range that allows him to wrestle. And so we never get to see his jujitsu unless he does a wild entry. Right. So it wasn't his jujitsu that failed him. He threw the, the same thing that failed Ryan Hall was the same thing that failed Chris Weidman is that spinning back kick. He throws this spinning hook kick, tries to land it. You know, he gets um, – uh, Taporia gets the jump on him, puts him on the ground. Now Ryan's trying to run and Gramby just trying to get away and Gramby. He's not even doing jiu-jitsu. He's just running away, and he gets cracked and finished. But I don't think that we learned anything about Ryan Hall's jiu-jitsu. I think we learned a lot about Ryan Hall's hesitancy to engage in boxing range. I think <laughs> we learned uh, that if he can't get into boxing range, then he has to get to – how do how do you get it to the ground as a jiu-jitsu guy? How do you employ your jiu-jitsu if you don't engage in boxing range? Boxing and takedown range is the same. Kickboxing range is too far for a shot, which is – we were just talking about that with Burns a second ago. I said, oh, he shot from so far away. Well, that's unusual. He, he was able to clear the shot from kickboxing range. That's strange. Ryan Hall can't do that, and it's not his wrestling or his jiu-jitsu or his kickboxing that's the problem. It's his hesitancy to engage in the boxing range. So I don't think we learned anything about Ryan Hall's jiu-jitsu. I think we learned, uh, you know, spinning spinning back kicks are a bad play. Yeah, Russell in the chat, he knows what's up. Tell him give me a point, Russell. I need to hear them coins. Russell, don't you weigh down this. I need to get my points in here. Um, I, I feel like jiu-jitsu let him down by proxy. But what really let him down was his strategy because he came in at least – on the surface look we didn't even see a full round but on the surface right away he was spamming the same move he's used for the last couple fights so his strategy sucked and which it blows my mind because he's a he's a brilliant person you know what i mean that kind of hurt my feelings because if i had to fight ryan hall and nobody wanted to fight him before this so this dude that said yeah i'm gonna fight him what do you think the first thing he's gonna practice to avoid is probably the the diving grabby leg grabby shit and so like that stuff, that stuff works best when you don't expect it. It's really shitty when you do. And if that's the thing he's expecting and it keeps coming, yeah, he's not going to connect. He's not going to hook up. He's not going to be able to force the ground game. And I want to put another, uh, maybe I should put this as a GoFundMe to get uh, Dana's attention. I think that spinning shit in general should be illegal. And not because it doesn't work. Is because it makes good people look bad. Can we all remember when Chael Sonnen tried to spin on Anderson Silva? Oh, that was a spin oh, around the world. No. <laughs> no, no. You go back and watch the Chael Sonnen fight and tell me when he lost that fight. Then you come watch the Ryan Hall fight and tell me when he lost that fight. It was the spinning shit. 
You know what I mean? Like uh, maybe Nate Diaz won't agree, but uh, I don't know, man. The spinning shit tends to to hurt people's careers more than it tends to help them. Here's what happened, guys. Ryan Hall is too smart for his own good. He was the innovator. He was the guy that was doing something nobody else was doing. Nobody would fight him. And I think his ego just got probably a little bit out of control. I just think that he thought he could kind of go in there and guys were just going to fall into his traps. And I didn't see the same strategy. It looked like yeah. he had developed some new move that I guess he was just dominating his sparring partners with. It had to be, right? Because for us, a hobby, he checked off on this game plan. You know, I know people are saying he broke his hand after the first punch, but it doesn't matter. Like his strategy looked the same. He did the same three things the entire time. He was trying some bizarre like entry that I've never seen before. It was like he was trying to pull like false guard or he was trying to like, and when he missed that, he was having to Gramby back to the guard. I've never seen anything like it. The strategy, I mean, obviously in hindsight, it is just a horrible strategy. I just can't believe that a year and a half, we don't see Ryan Hall fight for a year and a half, but that's what he developed. Like that was the game plan, you know? He Wait only a minute. tried Has like it... two Imanari rolls. He really only tried like two Imanari rolls. <laughs> Everything else was that like he was trying to reach around with his left arm and grab his uh, his opponent's left leg. And I guess I have no idea what what he was expecting to happen off of that. But it was just a really bad performance. And I think honestly, he's going to get cut. He's going to get cut. Does anybody know? Hold on. Bro. I... <laughs> I think Ryan's strategy was this. What what it looked like to me was it, it didn't matter as long as he could get a clinch and turn it into a fight. And so he was just looking for an unusual clinch to get the guy grappling with him. And I think that he must have discovered that during training that that what Scaff called the reach around there. He has an experience. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know where you learned about this kind of thing, but uh, don't Google that. <laughs> yeah, as uh, as he was trying to to hit his reach around, <laughs> yeah, like he was just looking to engage, and then probably the guy scrambles out and he starts to jump and take the back off of that or to get into the legs. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think he was just I, anything to turn it into a grappling situation. I got a really. I don't. I I I I think. Uh, I think Skiff is right. I think you guys. I think Skiff. I think Skiff was right. I think he was working on. Uh, Ryan Hall was working on something particular. If you watch, uh, I mean, yeah, he did the MNR roll stuff. Everyone expects that. And by the way, look, he's he's four and zero in the UFC. Why is he going to change his strategy? Like this shit's working. People don't want to fight him. Why is he going to go in there and go like, I'm going to stand and bang now, or I'm going to change it up? Then we'd all be yelling like, oh, he should have stuck to his plan. He didn't stick to his plan. He's going to go with what works. But it, it looked to me like he was kind of like using this false passivity to draw his opponent in and get him a little too attached. And then he was trying to drop down and hit some like odd roll into the legs. He, he did it over and over again. Um, I think he was spamming it maybe because he didn't think the guy could defend it. And maybe here. So here's the thing. If when he tries this, you know, endless loop of Grambies, if he doesn't get his arm caught in that underhook position, he may roll out of that and get a submission. We don't know, right? We might be talking about how innovative and amazing he is right now. It's just the style that he uses 
it's a style that when it works, it looks great. And when it fails, it usually fails spectacularly. Right. And well, people go like, we got to change this. But I don't I want to see Ryan Hall. I'm tired of seeing all these guys go in this formula fighting game. Like, I want to see weird shit. The people want to see it. Man. Let's if, do it. If you guys didn't know who Ryan Hall was and I told you that he was a system guy. Would you believe me? After <laughs> yeah, that? you'd be like, no, no, no. I got it. I got it figured out here. I got it figured out. This is something, and you can quote me on this. I don't think it's been looked into yet, but I swear to God, if if there's some back behind the stage or like lead up fight footage that we haven't seen, because like you're saying, we haven't seen Ryan Hall for a year and a half. Where the hell has he been? He's not very active on Instagram. I don't know where he's been. Has he actually gone over to China? And was he actually training with the drunken boxing masters? If he was training with drunken boxing masters, he was sticking to the game plan. And listen, maybe if he won, maybe we would see a master like Sinal come out and be like, I taught him that. First, you're insinuating an all Chinese box. That's not right. <laughs> Just the drunken ones. Uh, all right. Let's roll to the next one. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go, can I say one thing? Please. I still love Ryan Hall. He's still my boo Me too. <laughs> still my boo No matter what, I'm staying with him. I ain't giving up on him. I don't think we learned anything about his jiu <laughs> He's your writer, I had guy. people that were begging me to make Ryan Hall memes, and I, I stopped it, at, at two because it hurt my heart every time, and they were soft. <laughs> and I laid into Connor like 16 memes deep, and they're like, where's the Ryan Hall memes, bro? I'm like, dude, you don't understand how much this hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I feel That's that. Hilarious. All right, moving on down the agenda. Out of bounds in a submission. So here we want to talk about the person is getting submitted and they use the out of bounds to get like a reset or something along those lines. What do y'all think about that, that uh, idea? I can I can speak to this because I've done a, lo a lot of IBJJF style refereeing. So I know what their rules state and why they made it the way that it is nowadays. Because it wasn't always the way that it is nowadays. So nowadays, if, if you get caught in a submission and it ends up out of bounds, um, in a way that doesn't look like you forced it, like there's, there's some you know, sus ways where people try to roll and roll and roll and try to get out of bounds. But if the referee decides that it just went out of bounds because it went out of bounds, then it's they stop the match, they stand it up from the feet, and they give two points to the guy who tried the submission on the pretense that you can't restart a submission back into regular uh, playing field because it's nothing's ever the same, right? It's going to be tighter. It's going to be looser. Something's going to be different. So they stand it up. They say, good job. Good try. Here's two points. Try again kind of thing. Now, before that rule came into effect in the IBJJF, um, they would separate and give an advantage. So it was actually more beneficial for somebody to try to get it out of bounds because not a lot of people win on advantages at a lot of levels. So they'll be willing to give that up much more than two points, which is harder to get back. So, there were t there were times when people would get in like an ankle lock situation, literally like army crawl backwards mm -hmm. out of out of bounds to try to get it reset. They'd give up the advantage. They'd start standing. They're out of the ankle lock. Uh, they wanted to stop that. So nowadays the two points is supposed to stop that. But that being said, as a referee, I have seen um, here. Here's a interesting subtlety to the rules that people may not know and these people didn't in a particular match there was a triangle choke being put on in like the middle of the middle of the fucking mat there was no edge nearby the guy in the triangle choke stands to his feet picks his opponent up like like he's up five feet in the air and casually walks out of bounds and places him down to get the restart <laughs> now now the referee in charge there he he 
judged by the uh, rule that he was thinking was, well, we got separated, give them two points, and they started standing. Where actually, if that happens, if it's flagrant that you were trying to get the out of bounds, that's considered fleeing the mat, and that is a DQ. So we've got some famous instances, right, of guys rolling out of bounds. I think the most famous and probably notorious one is David Avalon versus Paul Harris. Paul Harris gets him in the leg lock, going for the heel hook in ADCC. He rolls out and they reset in the heel hook, and Paul Harris just absolutely blows up David Avalon's knee. And there's so many examples of this. That being the most obvious of like, wow, there's a reason that, you know, you restart in a sub, there's potential for just really bad consequences for the guy that is having to defend because, you know, there's going to be some gamemanship, right? I had a match when I was a purple belt where a guy rolled out of my outside heel hook and we restarted in the middle and I got, I put in a much deeper heel hook on the restart and I won immediately. And (laughs) It's there's definitely a lot of gamemanship to the (laughs) restart, right? I think what really needs to happen is one of two things. Okay, first being that the rollout. Okay, if somebody um, aggressively rolls out of a sub or or goes out of bounds, um, you know, through a sub, that there needs to be a position like a dominant position given to. Now I don't know about the actual sub but I think there should be a dominant position given to, but more what I would like to see is that, you know, whether it's some type of sumo rule, like if you get pushed out of an event points need to be the standard, you know, or like the judges favor, like if it is a judging match and the guy's constantly roll going out of bounds or he's canoodoing, right. Renato Canuto's <laughs> constantly just on the edge of the mat. So he can use the mat space to his advantage. If he's getting ready to get scored on, there needs to be a penalty for that. Now, I'm not smart enough to to create of something on the spot, but guys like Canuto, guys that are constantly like, oh, I'm getting ready to get taken down like an ADCC, and I'm just happen to be by the side of the mat. I was watching one of Gordon's matches, and, and guys just play on the side, and even if they get half taken down, they just restart in the middle back to their feet. We need a solution for this. Can we normalize the verb canoodoing? I love that verb, and I feel like that one has a real potential to blow up. I'm going to start memeing canoodling, 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 canoodling. I like canoodling. That's good. <laughs> Easier to say too. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a it's a it's a situation of like, you know, hate the game, not the player, because if you can roll out of bounds and get some kind of advantage for doing it. At, they're all going to do it. Even the sub only guys are going to do it. If that's a rule, they're going to do it. They're going to exploit it one way or another. But it does kind of suck from a, stand, a fan standpoint. Even when they reset them, because I think um, there's another organization that resets you back in the full submission, isn't there? I'm sure. I thought there was. It varies. It, but it, that's not fun to watch. Like what? when it's yep, like, it nah, <laughs> not, not that far. It's like, it feels odd. Like, okay, now we're going to, because like, and sorry, I called you Skiff. It's Scaff, but uh, <laughs> you, you cheated. <laughs> you did the same thing. I've watched so many jujitsu matches, which, and I don't know how how uh, you know Drew didn't ca- doesn't catch this when he's ref and IBJJF matches. These guys cheat so much on the reset; it's ridiculous. Like they I'm change grips, they tighten it up. 
Well, the refs, they do this little miming act where they, like, touch the shoulder, touch the knee, touch the foot. Like, they're creating all these memory pods in their head. Like, I know the exact position. And then it's like, they weren't in half guard. Now they're in half guard. The ref doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, whatever, just get together. They had to just, like, let them keep going. That's the rule. You roll out, keep going. You end up in the stairs, keep going, man. This is WWE style. There's no bounds. Get the finish. I I hate all the rolling around. I can't wait for the world championships of jiu-jitsu where they have 16 mats and they're just letting them keep going no matter where they go. And there's people up in the auditorium. There's people in the bleachers. There's people in the bathroom. Let it go, man. Let it go. There's no balance. Just find your stub. Put, give them a swirly. You can do this. Atos guys would be rolling onto each other's mats so they could tag team. <laughs> They'd be rolling into the back room yeah. to get a little shot of something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dang! He pointed him for it. Dude. That's that's when you know the joke was good. You got pointed for the joke. <laughs> I, had to, I had to come back from that poot somehow. <laughs> I think uh, I think more than worrying about what the rule is, we should think about how to fix the culture of that. Because real talk, if you're doing that, if you're rolling out of bounds to score the point, then uh, you no longer have the spirit of Budo within you. Like, that's not that's not the way of the samurai, dude. And I'm not saying everything's got to be go out there and get the kill and sacrifice your body or whatever. You know, do whatever you need to do to keep yourself safe. But you know what you did. <laughs> and, and Can I just say to, for the record? It needs to be known within the community that that's just like a – you know, kind of like baseball has unspoken rules. Like, no, no, we don't do that in baseball. We don't do that. We don't talk like that. But there's no crying in baseball. There's no rolling out of bounds in jujitsu. Those should be one and the same. Go ahead. For the record, the the idea of budo. Um, just to put that out there. People like to quote Musashi in the Book of Five Rings. It's basically a, a cheat manual, how to win by cheating. You remember the part where he uh, yeah. made somebody wait for an hour and a half longer than they were supposed to sword fight before showing up? And you, yeah, you remember the part where he made sure that they were looking into the sun when they were fighting? <laughs> yeah, like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, and that's fucking Budo. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of truth to that. killed that man with a wooden boat oar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all I need to say. He killed him. <laughs> There's, there, there is a lot of truth to, you know, guys are going to push the boundaries, right? It's way easier to win by doing some questionable things, not engaging, making sure that if you are engaging, that you are in a position to flee. We need to, right? It's almost like uh, we need to create some type of like a moat or something like that, right? You imagine we've got a lifted platform, we've got a moat, and there's just We're going crocodiles back to UFC in the yeah. No, no, I'm yeah. talking about the old age. Like, no, 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 you're going to fight. And you know what? How the, why the gladiators had to fight? You go shoot. You're not fighting. There's a, might be a tiger pop out, right? You just imagine <laughs> a gladiator like, oh, you come too close to the edge. You're running away from the, the guys you're supposed to be fighting. Well, all of a sudden, a tiger pops out, and he's, like, scratching <laughs> at your back, you know? Like, that's one of those scenes from Gladiator that I think we all have, like, imprinted our minds of, like, oh, my God, like, you got to go face like, that guy or you're getting a I like the idea. I like the idea. It seems a little cost prohibitive for the promoters, but maybe if we Dude, were to play by, by Eddie's Tiger rule, this King, is the problem. Eddie and Tiger <laughs> King start a joint promotion. Oh, my God. Go I've on. already subscribed to that. Um, if... 
if we were to go by Eddie's rules, because people always shit on uh, EBI, people always just waiting out the actual time to get to the overtime, and that's their strategy is just win in overtime. Um, I think that if you were to add something from the striking part of the EBI, what's the one where you get to hit the guy, slap the guy? The combat jujitsu. If you were to add combat jujitsu to regular EBI, but only when somebody has been said to be stalling. So now your opponent is allowed to hit you and you aren't allowed to hit them. And like it starts, it starts with a gentleman's dick kick and then you hit the ground and your opponent's allowed to start hitting you. There's gonna be a lot less people trying to play the rules if those are the, the consequences. PGF season four. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, these rolling out of bounds guys are. Imagine if they were general contractors and they're doing work at your house. Is that, is that like the kind of guy you'd want to? <laughs> How do you get the job done? I'm going to roll out of bounds. It's like a <laughs> great, <laughs> nice job, man. I know the foundation I'm is here, but that. we're going to roll on total quality yeah. jujitsu. <laughs> Hey, let's shout out Kai Johnson here in the chat. Kai's a member of the YouTube channel. If you're not already a member of the YouTube channel, you can join. You can't do it on iOS, though. So if you're using an iPhone, you got to get on desktop or you got to get on Android. But you can join the YouTube channel. If you catch these live, of course, no cost. But if you want to go back and watch them after the fact, they're hidden behind the members only paywall. 99 cents a month is where it starts. Don't be slipping. Try to pay me. I'm I'm trying to get paid doing YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Those fedoras aren't cheap, dude. You think you think a, a a hat like this comes without a couple of memberships? Come on, man. You had to go all the way to the Bahamas for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. I had to travel. It's like. <laughs> all right, we back to the main event now. Yeah, main event, guys. Um, it happened this past weekend. We've all memed and talked about it. Oh. Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, the trilogy, the rubber match. It went down. It did not end how we expected it. Thoughts? Well, I mean, Connor called it. He was not going to lose that fight, and he can only lose by KO. So the guy, by definition, didn't lose. I mean, I don't think he won, but it's basically a wash at this point. He's still the undefeated champ champ in his mind. Uh, the, the foot break had nothing to do with the actual fight. Dustin didn't really have anything to do with that. He was winning. He was going to win in the second round for sure. Um, these are all talking points on the Connor side. And it would you would be shocked to go into the comment section of some of these memes and see some of his butt sniffers parroting these words. They actually believe that he was just setting them up for the second round. Don't worry. This is all part of the game plan. Connor's coming back. He actually won the first round. You know, it didn't look like that near the end, but it's it's total bullshit. He got dominated in that first round. Dominated. And I don't see that going any better for him in the preceding four rounds coming after that, whether or not he broke his foot. Okay, obviously broke his foot. If he didn't break his foot, it's not getting better for him as the rounds go on. Because let's be honest, we're coming back to that lucky punch thing. He needs that lucky punch. He's very lucky. He's got many four-leaf clovers up his ass. I think he's used them all up at this point. But his cardio doesn't get better throughout the rounds. That we know for sure. And you know whose does, or at least stays consistent? Fucking Dustin Poirier. That guy's a diamond. He, he he stays hard throughout the whole thing and he comes at you hard and he's not going to stop. If he had you hurt at the end of the first, you can bet he's going to keep you hurt coming into the second. It's just poor, poor choice of words that he stays hard. But I, I, Connor, <laughs> I think you're are. right. I think you're right though. I think that, I think Connor's a phenomenal fighter. He has high, high potential to do a lot of cool stuff, but I, I also think he, you know, he maybe caught some luck here and there and like, he had 
ridiculous results because of it. And now he's not having as much of those fortunate, you know, circumstances in, in fights. And, and it shows when it doesn't kind of go his way, he has a tough time. Um, and Poirier is one of those guys who, you know, man, he, he earns it. He's earning it in the gym. He loves Jesus. He says his prayers. He takes his vitamins. He's, he's, he's on that freaking Hulkamania routine. You know what I mean? So it's, I feel like he has a real solid base and Connor, he's gotta be up in his own head at this point. He has to be thinking like, what the hell, man, I would take the money and run. I was just, I would retire <laughs> a villain and just go full villain, get out of the game talk shit for the rest of my life and count my money. But, you know, I think I think he is a warrior. He'll probably get back there. But I, I don't think we're ever going to see that same streaky level that he had. He might come back and do one, like, amazing thing. He's a high-performance vehicle, man. He could do a lot of cool stuff. But I don't know if he could maintain it over multiple fights anymore. He just needs to fight the Paul brothers a couple times. That's always on the table for these washed-up fighters, man. You need that yeah. money? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. So I think that people are kind of down on Connor. First of all, uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, Scaff was wrong on the main event and that I was right, and I want to make sure that he gets the poop that he's owed. <laughs> Thank you. All right. And, uh, are you taking that in lieu of the 10 ADA? No, I took that too. I took that immediately, <laughs> but I knew I had to wait for this poop. <laughs> So uh, I think that people expect Connor to still be like the undefeated champion. But I think what we're learning is not that Connor is not good. It's that Connor's not the goat. Mm. Like he's, he's just not the greatest of all time. But Connor is still, Tim said it, he's a high performance vehicle, dude. Connor is still thrilling to watch. He is still amazing to watch, and he can still put his left hand on anybody yeah. in the division and put him through the ground. So as far as I'm concerned, what Connor needs to do is get off of for a couple of years, get off of this. I'm going to get a title shot train, and let's put some people – dude, I dare you to put a, a the number six guy in the world or number ten, whoever those guys are. Put those guys in there with Connor. They'd be happy for the fight. And I think we would see a different level of uh, – I think we would see the old Connor again because the old Connor is really the same Connor. It's yeah. just not to the level of the best in the world on a week, on a month-by-month, year-by-year basis. He's got other interests, so he's not going to be number one at one thing. He's trying to be number one at, like, five things. So you end up number two at all of them that way. Yeah, I think – here's the thing. First, the fight really – it didn't tell me too much. I didn't feel like it was a domination. Now, obviously, Poirier won the round. Obviously, right? I think Connor had a couple of good moments. Strategy, um, you know, he definitely had made some changes uh, with the leg kicks. It was obviously to address that. He came out too hot. There was no way he was going to keep that pace. If he got to the third round, it was Dustin's fight. A hundred percent. There was no way Connor was going to keep that pace up for two rounds. And then the third, fourth, and fifth, he was going to be, he was going to get finished if he kept that pace up. He was just going to get exhausted and Poirier was going to choke because we've seen, or Poirier was going to choke him because we've seen Connor give up when he gets tired. And that's what was going to happen if Connor didn't get the finish in the second round. Now, there's a chance, right? Connor has that left hand. There's always a chance. 
to me, what it did was it made me go, ugh. I don't really care about the 155-pound division. We've got this guy, Khabib, who is one of the GOATs. He's not here, but we know he's the best fighter, right? Mm -hmm. We know he's the best guy. So I don't like when you know that somebody's the best. They're apps kind of like Gordon Ryan. Like, who's number one? Gordon Ryan's number one. <laughs> Gordon Ryan's not 45. He's not on the, no, Gordon Ryan is the man. Khabib is the man at 155. I'm not really interested in like a uh, in like a big pay-per-view of Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. That doesn't really do anything for me. Dustin Poirier, as amazing as he is, he just he doesn't have that wow factor. He's there's something missing about him. Maybe he is too nice. Maybe I don't know what it is. Um, for me though, I think Connor isn't a top five fighter. He established that, but I think he has the potential to work his way back up. But only if he does what Brandon says. He needs two gimme fights. He needs to fight consecutively in six months and get two victories. And then Connor's from there, the we can reassess. Connor's the kind of athlete who needs to believe in himself to, to win. Yes. You know what I'm saying? He's the kind of athlete that when his confidence gets broken, he's somebody different. He's the kind of athlete that hires people to walk around behind him and call him the champion before he ever wins the belt because he needs to believe he's the champion before he can become the champion. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you – some – some people, once you break their spirit, they just never believe – they can never get back to that same level of belief in themselves mm -hmm. again, even if they don't recognize it, even if it's subconscious, you know, it's unconscious or whatever. That's that's a great observation. Can I make another observation before we get to the last subject here? And I think this one is – it's not being talked about enough, is coming up – as Connor was kind of on the sidelines for the last little while, is uh, Sean O'Malley. And people are calling him the new Connor, and there's a lot of hype behind him because he's got a personality and he's like the next generation Connor, is kind of how they're trying to sell him. And is it interesting that both of them snap their legs when they're kicking? I feel like if you're going to build a Connor or build a Sean O'Malley, if there's an attributes chart on like a UFC video game, you have to max out the punching, which takes away from the leg structural integrity. I think there's something there. The harder you hit, the weaker your, your legs are. There's, it's The correlation is just too obvious. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's that obvious, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a doctor, I'm just saying. I'm a doctor, you know. Tim knows what's up. The yeah. UFC <laughs> Performance <laughs> Institute right hey, now. Uh, <laughs> the, the Sean O'Malley fight. So the whole card was crazy, right? The entire yeah. UFC card was crazy. Like, there's so many weird things. And it kind of started with that Sugar Sean fight. Now, I thought it was just a masterful display of technique, of course, and, a, and a, an unbelievable display of heart slash chin, right, by my toot toot. Uh, but do, do you guys feel like Sean was losing confidence as the fight went on? Hell yes. That's kind of what I saw. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bring that up because we were just talking about uh, Connor's the kind of fighter who has the like the confidence makes him better. Like the more wins he's got, the more likely he's about to win. Like that momentum is even heavier for him. And I started to feel like the momentum and the weight of not finishing Matutu was I know it's not his real name. Uh, not finishing Matutu was really starting to weigh heavily on Sugar Sean. And I, I felt like I could really feel that stress. Like as I was watching the fight for Sean, I just thought it, it was interesting. It, it was like it was like watching a scary movie where you can't kill the bad guy, 
Yeah, and it's yeah, like, dude, he won't yeah, stop coming. <laughs> yeah, it's like at a certain point, you're like, ah, oh, fuck it, take me. Like, but you got how, it. You know? How cool was it to see you see in the first round, dribbling the basketball between his legs? He's <laughs> yeah. pointing, he's, you know, quoted Garbrandt in it up, you know, out there. I'm like, oh, you missed me. I was here. Now you're there and all that stuff. And by the third round, it had completely switched. <laughs> you know, you had Matutu. He was again not his name. He was walking down, um, you know, and you, you could kind of see he was walking down Sean O'Malley and he absorbed. I mean, it was a significant fight for like UFC history in that I mean eighty percent land? That's insane. But I want to ask you guys this question. Fight to the death. That match keeps going. Who oh, wins? Matutu takes it. You Eventually. Think so? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you, know, you know how he'd die, though. You know how Sean would die is he would literally burn every calorie in his body. It wouldn't yeah. be from strikes. I know. Starve <laughs> man. He just waste away. His little his little legs would just break in half. That'd be the first thing. Like like Drew yeah. said, his I little think, toothpick legs would just. Hey, let me break ask you guys half. this. In all seriousness, are you excited to see Mook Toot Toot later? Oh like, yeah. See what he looks like against like when he's oh, not 100%. being sacrificed to the UFC gods. Do you want to see what he looks like against uh you know a prelim fighter? Cuz I do. You know you know who is excited to watch him? 100,000 new followers on Instagram in the first 24 hours. That's who's excited to see him. Oh, are you serious? 100,000 new followers. Yeah. Man, good for I him, dude. I think I think you got it backwards, Brandon. I want to see Matutu. I don't want him to see him fight some undercard scrub guy i want to see him fight an even better striker i think we got to see how much he could take <laughs> much do you run hate this man? guy all the way through the chain get him up there it's against francis be... get him out there man <laughs> let's see what he can fight. do let's see what he can do man let's see him versus nate diaz he don't even get to oh, wear bro. gloves this is a take his punches. whole family right now is screaming no god no <laughs> it's impressive man it was it i mean yeah Nobody wants to be that kind of fighter, though. That's a rough way to be. Like, Dude, what's your strategy? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. what other choice Chris did he Lieben have? Be honest with you. What other choice did he have in this? Sure. Fight? And 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 listen, let's be real. It worked. He got the fight of the night bonus on his very <laughs> first fight in the UFC. Ah, yes, seventy-five k. I was gonna say seventy-five k. In a fight that he could not win, he was brought in to sacrifice to no. the UFC yeah. God. They killed him. They took him up on the top. Like the Aztecs, they took him to the top of the temple, to the main card, and they were going to cut his head and bleed him in front of the people. And he wouldn't die. And he <laughs> they dulled their knife on him. <laughs> I mean, it was one. It was maybe the most impressive loss I've seen in a long time. That's what I'll say. It made, it yeah. made me believe that anything was possible in some ways. You know yeah, because I mean? <laughs> we all think we would be that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Disney hasn't been doing it for us lately. Yeah. We gotta get some real life stories, dude. I was, yeah. I loved it. I'm a Matute Toot fan. Yeah, and and what does it do, uh, you know, in the future for guys that fight O'Malley? Are they gonna be less afraid? Like, yeah, yeah, we'll take a few punches from him. I don't know. I don't know how many KOs. I don't know. Hey, they listen. might want to condition their chins, like stand in front of somebody and just let them hit them a hundred times around. Yeah. Get ready. You know what the next guy's got to think about is that Sean O'Malley got three extra rounds of 80% accuracy practice in game situation. Yeah, that's you know frightening. I mean? yeah, yeah, but, but Sean O'Malley's had one really tough fight, right? And what happened? His leg stopped working against Cheeto Vera. So Come on, I'm kind of like, mm, the Sean O'Malley hype train, while he's incredibly skilled, I'm definitely not buying that stock. His stock definitely didn't go up after this weekend. 
in my, in my opinion. What? I, mean, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. He's still killing it. I think that if nothing else, it just leads more credibility or lends more credibility to the rematch with Cheeto, which, I mean, he's undefeated, right? If you ask him, he's undefeated. That wasn't a loss. He was winning, and then his leg snaps. The same fucking thing as Connor is saying. They're running off the same script. I swear to God, it's the same guy. They just cloned these guys somewhere. Um, I think that the the title fight or the rematch fight would be very compelling because you could have, like, the lead-up to make it interesting. They both have giant followings uh, in different demographics, right? Uh, Vera's got it from where is he? Wow. Uh, Columbia. Yes. Oh, from is he from Peru? Or Peru? I think one of those South American ones. Sorry, that's. I don't. I don't know the answer. He's from Ecuador, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I think he's from Argentina. Yeah. No, it's Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely from Uruguay. <laughs> he's Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. South he's South Canada. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we got one more thing. topic, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's go move on to the next topic because we could keep talking about that all day. All right. Last thing. Let's touch on it. There's a bunch of BJJ promotions out there doing all kinds of different point styles, finishing only uh, all kinds of tournaments, promotions, BJJ. Who's got the top five and rank them in order of significance for the BJJ community? I need a point of, uh, of clarity here. Uh, Are we uh, talking about are we talking about ADCC and IBJJF in this or no? We're talking about this is the question, all right? All right. Okay, athlete, importance of an athlete. You're an athlete. What is your top five right now? Hey, I want to be the champion of these promotions. Oh, And, and ADCC or an IBJJF are in that or no? Everything. Anything. Okay. Anything grappling-wise. Well, I've, okay, so I'll I'll throw out the gate then. If ADCC is included, this is that's the Mount Everest of grappling. Gi, no gi. I fought MMA. I got a wrestling background. I got a sambo background. <laughs> like whatever. If you're a grappler and you're bad enough, you go and win your continent's trial. First of all, that's the coolest thing ever. Like I won the South American trial or I won the North American trials. I love that they call it the trials. That's such a gangster word instead of uh, qualifier, which is what I call it for the PGF. But the trials is an awesome <laughs> word. Makes me think about the Jedi, about Jedi. But you got to go win and be the best dude on your continent. And then you got to go up against anybody that from any style that won in their continent, any belt rank, any experience level. And yeah, it's and it's put together by the chic. Get out of here, dude. That's by far, that's by far the coolest promotion to be the champion of. The winner of ADCC is the real champion of the world. So I'm gonna so, go ahead and throw out some some craziness here, because you know ADCC traditionally, and it is like right, it's the number one. It's a grappler's like dream. I think though. Combat jiu-jitsu, the face. If somebody will just willing to step up and become the face of combat jiu-jitsu, they will become the most popular grappler in the world. I think CJJ's got the most eyeballs on it. I think more people outside of grappling care about CJJ. I think more and more grapplers in you know, jiu-jitsu are starting to care about CJJ and see the significance of it as we're seeing more like guys like Roberto. And this next one's got what the Rutolos are doing. We're starting to see studs. I think... 
somebody needs to, okay, become the face of CJJ. Like if, if you can do that, like if you are a competitor and you did that, you then, um, I, I think the, the amount of money and the amount of prestige and the amount of everything would, it would just blow ADCC out of the water. You think just because it's got so many eyeballs on it from the fight pass? Yeah, and I just think more and more, right? Everybody thought this was going to fail. Instead of it failing, all oh, turns out it's getting more and more popular each event. Not just more. It's like it's growing faster than ADCC. Like ADCC, they've skipped a year now. Like who knows? Like the dates, their tentative dates, right? Like who knows what's going to happen with ADCC? I, I, CJJ. I mean, that's I, number one right now. <laughs> I, I, that is I, a hot take. I, I like combat jujitsu's amazing. I think that the particular niche that it fills, though, is that gap between jujitsu and MMA. And there's a pass through now. You see guys on their way out of MMA, and you see guys on their way into MMA. And that's that's why it's growing so fast, in my opinion, is that group of grapplers are getting involved. There's a lot of high-level grapplers don't want nothing to do with getting hit in the face. So unless you change the jujitsu culture, which is probably going to take a long time, it's it it's not that it's not a worthy thing. I think it should be one of the, the probably the biggest, but I just think that the the participation is just not gonna not gonna be there. Right now it's it's gotta be ADCC. Like everyone wants ADCC, no gi. If you put the gi on, it's IBJJF Worlds. There's there's no two. Those are the still the talk all the shit. I get it, but those are the top two deals, man. Uh, fight to win. The thing fight to win's doing that nobody's doing is they have a traveling show. Yeah. nobody's doing it at that level that's freaking way awesome man if you really think about the exposure that they're putting out there for athletes and how they're planting jujitsu seeds in every community they go into that's probably the most impactful in the terms of overall grappling but i want old ebi i know eddie's like past all that it seems i don't know maybe he'll bring it back i want that shit back man that that was the thing man everyone loved ebi that i feel like that was that was it it was ebi man I can't really drop it on you about EBI, but I can I can tell you it's coming back. Hell oh, yes. Shit. Oh, Woo! shit. All right. I was worried that Tim just stole some of my thunder because uh, that was one I was holding in my back pocket. But if we're going to go down the list of top five, and top five is uh, it's a bit of a stretch in grappling, to be honest, because everybody knows the top two, and depending who you talk to, it's going to be one flipped in front of the other. I think that if you would have asked this question between ADCC and IBJJF 10 years ago, it would have been IBJJF 100 out of 100 times. Because A, you do it every year. So if you're a competitor, you have a chance to become a world champion every single year. Um, B, the ADCC was niche back then. The, the, the shows were not that well put together. They were kind of like, they're in different countries, but the the production was not that great. Even the one in China was like, there was horror stories all over the place. I think it really became what we think of it as now in 2019. That was the one that really popped off. And since then, people have been waiting for that to be repeated. Was it 19? It was 19, right? Yeah, they do the odd years. So, but the thing that ADCC has going for them, which I think solidifies them without any argument at the top right now, is A, what Aunt, uh, Brandon was saying, because any style can compete. B, the 
doing it every two years adds exclusivity yeah. as well as you can't just apply to go in. Like I know that the IBJJF now they make you qualify as a black belt. You have to have a certain amount of points at their other tournaments to be able to come in. But every other level you can go and just be like, well, I'm in California during this month. I'm going to go try to be the best blue belt in the world and just jump in. Um, ADCC is all elite athletes that have to prove their medal or get an invitation because they've proved their medal. So I think that is now and probably will be for the rest of time if they keep going higher than IBJJF as far as prestige is concerned. Now, if we're past the top two, what's left underneath that? I think to speak to Tim's uh, reveal there is EBI still holds that mantle. In my heart, people who are around during EBI, that is the... the the tournament that made Gary Tonin who he is. I don't care about Kumite. That was cool when he was a brown belt. EBI is what made Gary Tonin. It's what made Gordon Ryan. He was the, what, what was he called? The Iron Dragon or something back then. He won the oh, absolute. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was a no name at that point And he blew up after that point. He Eddie was, Cummings. you saw Eddie Cummings. He was another guy. Like, I don't think the, the type of excitement around those styles of tournaments has ever been the same since EBI, including combat jiu-jitsu, because I think combat jiu-jitsu is trying to rise up to the level that EBI already had. And I feel like, God bless Eddie, he's got this thing in his heart he wants to do, but I don't think that it was ever has been better than EBI. And I really think it would be a benefit, like Brandon's saying, hopefully here, that he brings EBI back because he owns that number three spot, and I think he can climb up the ladder. Everything below that, to, to add a fourth and a fifth is just like throw your favorite promotion in there they're all trying to be what metamorris was at some point except pay their people see i think this last cjj card was one of the best shows it compares sure. with any ebi show yeah. it was incredible and i think a guy like if roberto goes and wins this next 185 and then wins his way to 205 he's got like because people remember Gary Tonin and those guys, like, and people still talk about, like, nobody cares about Gary Tonin's ADCC performances or Gordon Ryan. I mean, people like, yeah, Gordon Ryan's a double, but it's who is EBI. That's what people know him for. Remember that EBI match with Card Jones? Remember that yeah. EBI match that you had? Remember when he took out the absolute division? CJJ is going to become that. And if Roberto was smart, he would just go, I don't care about this other stuff. I'm going to become the Gordon Ryan of CJJ. I think that in order for, like, Roberto to do that, though – so whoever does it, whoever does it is going to have to win in the other organizations too. If you're just dominating CJJ, they're going to go like, yeah, but he's not doing yeah, all the other definitely. stuff. And also though, I think ADCC has been the top for a long time because they're like 22 years old. You're t you got like Mario Sperry, Henzo Gracie, Hoyler, Jean-Jacques. All those guys were up in the ADCC game, dude. All of those guys were doing it back then. It's, it's I think it's a question a of quantity time. and quality, though, because the quality is with ADCC because of the exclusivity, but the quantity is, is securely with IBJJF. Not only can you win it every single year, but at every single belt. So there's yeah. so many champions they put out that their, their industry um, exposure or, or importance to be able to put world champion under your fucking Instagram bio as a white belt. Like That's something uh -huh. that's really important to the jiu-jitsu community <laughs> as a whole. The, the, the other thing, too, is like EBI really, I think it's, it, I think you're right. I think it's the number one thing. But I want to say this there's no EBI without Metamorris. That weird little rivalry that took place in that little three year time frame, 
it was dope. It was rad. It was awesome. It was exclusive contracts and Hallett Gracie rapping and like events going on. It was rad, dude. It was so much fun to be part of it. It, it really was a fun time. And I think it, it kind of, they drove each other a little bit. I wish Metamorphs was still here, honestly, because I, I think it was pretty you know cool. No, who doesn't? All of the competitors that competed for Metamorphs, they yeah, wish but, it wasn't but, there. But you know what? Look, look, this is the this is the rub, and this is what sucks. A lot of times when you're first, even though Halleck wasn't really first, but the, Metamorphs was kind of first to really, really do it up. And yeah, they had a lot of money behind it in the beginning. But uh, a lot of things he was doing that got criticized for, these guys ended up doing anyway, like the exclusive contract stuff. You know how many organizations owe dudes money? I don't, I'm not like, I know that it's unscrupulous to do that, but at the same time, he put himself out there and did it. He gave those guys a stage and a platform that they flat out didn't have before. And so, yeah, maybe he mismanaged it. Maybe he didn't do the right thing, but we're lucky that he did it. Yeah. I'm super glad that he, he did it. He wasn't the so. right guy, but he was the first guy. And he was at the right time. Yeah. You know what? So. I'm really surprised uh, that uh, at all you guys actually, because you all really messed up right here. Because we here were talking comes. about the top five, and none of us mentioned the most entertaining. And this, when I say this, you're gonna go, "Oh yeah, you're right." The most entertaining grappling format to watch, which is quintet. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hmm. Yeah, but nobody wants to watch team like all the time. No, no, ah, uh, no! Good. All of Japan wants to watch that. They love that and, shit. And listen to me. We're not in Japan. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They yeah. love that in Uruguay. <laughs> well, this is huge over <laughs> in the Polynesian <laughs> Islands. <laughs> and the Falcons. <laughs> um, uh, it's the most entertaining format to watch. Yeah. Because uh, one of the reasons is because we don't have to have referee involvement. And because a draw matters in the quintet. Mm, yeah. yeah. Draw, draw. Yeah, you know what? Um, I was running tournaments before the pandemic uh, yearly, and we had an intermission between the kids and the adult section that would always be like a super fight, uh, like expose, basically, or um, an expo to showcase some good grapplers. And it started off with just one-off matches that we'd have two or three of them. And then it went into EBI-style ones. We want EBI rules because it was what was killing back in 2013 and 14. But then recently, for the last couple of years, it switched to quintet rules. And to be honest, like, there's nothing that builds team morale more than having your team of five killers go out against their team of five killers. And you beat that whole gym when you win. Yeah, I mean, that's been happening the last couple of weekends with uh, some of our guys. We've been doing – oh, I'm, I'm sorry. We're changing batteries right there. But I've been doing uh, – our team has been doing quartets, the, what, SCAF, like the last two or three weekends? Yeah, Something two like out that. of the past three weekends. Yeah, and, and they love doing them. And it, exactly to your point, Drew, it brings in like a, like a team spirit. Like a, you get almost like you can have a pep rally now. Yeah, have a pep rally for one. Yeah, bring in the cheerleaders. Right. Yeah. So should have the the quartet actually sing as a quartet before they grapple. That would Dude, be that's, a that's great next idea. level. Yeah, that's I know Matt one. would be down for that. He's got a hell of a um, falsetto. Uh, I'm, a, could, I'm a baritone. Dresses dandy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dandy boy that could get out there and sing. That'd be awesome. Man. Yeah. So, uh, what as far as like top five goes? Listen, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm tooting my own horn a little too much right here. 
But I think we got to include the PGF in top five promotions to be a champion of simply because there's no other event like it to be the champion of. That's so true. You, you got a whole a, organization. That's right. If you want to have a unique crown, if you want to go through a challenge that not everybody else will go through. And we had, you know, in the, in the exit interviews for the PGF in season two, we had Hunter say this and Kamoy says this and all of these high level Brown and black belts are like, listen, not everybody is cut out for a tournament like this. If you really want to challenge yourself and do something that nobody else is doing, the PGF is a great way to challenge yourself and do that. You're locking in for a week and you're having 15 matches against real bangers over the course of a week. And then you got to win in specific ways to score your points. That's really unique. Now, is it the best? I'm not saying it's the best. What I'm saying is from a grappler standpoint, why would like that sounds intriguing. That sounds mm. challenging. I would like to have that that belt on my mantle. So and somebody's yeah, got to come gonna, in to beat Elijah to too. It's super I, fun to watch. I'm gonna give you guys the top five. Here it is. All right, we've got CJJ, ADCC, Submission Underground, having Chael Sonnen say you're the best okay, over and over and treat you like a world champion. That's what I want as a competitor. Yeah. Chael telling everybody like nobody can beat Mason Flower, nobody can beat Craig Jones. I want that. Okay, who's number one in the PGF? Give me those five all day. I want to be the champion of those organizations. Leave all the rest. You can leave Kasai, Third Coast, all that other crap. Well, those are all five. the same promotion. I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I love Chill, but I feel like he's always got somewhere to go during SUG. He's like he's always going. <laughs> like he's like, okay, man, I got to be out of here at this time. Like he's just like, dude, what's the rush, man? I feel that Chill's a funny I dude. Too fast. He goes fast, man. Yeah, so uh, we did it. Hour oh, 10. Yeah. Look at us. We ready to add up these points? Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. All right, guys. I already know I won. <sighs> it was a hard-fought battle out there today. I, I didn't do good. All the competitors. We've got a close close lineup here. Start with last. Okay, so coming in last, man. surprisingly, Scaff. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, I deserved it with the Connor pick. Like, I it was a Connor pooch. That's that. what put you I out. Did, yeah, I mean, I just knew that it was going to be a bad day for me. So, and I oh, deserve it. I'm so happy about and that. Scaff, I don't care what else. Scaff happens. did get the most poots today. How many <laughs> overall? He got two. Double poots. Give Damn. him one more. It's already over. Just yeah. <laughs> what does it matter at this point? <laughs> All right, now. We've got a tie for second place. I guess second mm. and third. Oh, mm. dang. Drew mm-hmm. and Tim. Oh, my God. I oh, no. Show's oh, rigged. No. Rigged. I want to oh, recount. No. Well, this is Brandon's first, first place. This is Brandon's first. Oh, <laughs> my God. I, I am so good. He came I split in, the vote. Sorry, he Drew. He got the victory simply because he did not get pooted on today. I was going to say, oh, that's right. me over this time. <laughs> Damn. I stand by it. Spinning shit is now illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, you know, I want to use this opportunity uh, to praise you guys. I thought y'all did a great job, guys, except for Scaff. Everybody Thank did you. really good. Thank you, Brandon. I that means a lot to me, man. Listen, Thank you. Tim, I'm really happy to have you on, dude. I'm so happy you're up in Nashville. Everybody go. And check out Tenth Planet Nashville if you're up Please. in that area. It'd be awesome. Um, everybody, here for Scaff, get the Grappling Discourse podcast. 
start listening to that. He does one of the best podcasts in jiu-jitsu. It's just a solo podcast. They're all very short, very digestible, and uh, and from a very wise practitioner. Make sure you're subscribed to the Grappling Discourse podcast. And then make sure you're following Because Jitsu on Instagram. Drew is the number one mean guy in the G- in the BJJ game. So that's what I want to do for my moment. I want to shout these guys out. Oh, Brandon can win every time. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to <laughs> butter us up. So we all want him to win. Well played. I like winning. <laughs> all right. Uh, can we just for a quick second here, Keelan, can we shout out Derek Chilson over here? One of the YouTube channel members. I want to make sure anytime that the guys who are actually supporting the channel with their memberships that we're shouting them out in the comments. And uh, he says he wants to give a shout-out to Matt Elkins after his performance last weekend. He subbed three guys in a row to get the win for his team in Nashville. He actually only subbed two guys in a row, but he did finish off the last two. He choked uh, two black belts belts to close it out. And then he subbed Derek Chilson's heart. And he has. He subbed Derek's heart. Um, But, yeah, Matt Elkins, one of our training partners here and one of the owners of Ironclad or one of the – the head coaches at Ironclad Wrestling Club down in Birmingham. Ferocious. Uh, not a moonhead, not Tenth Planet uh, School. Got to join that cult. He, train, he trains with us every week. So he, he actually armbarred me so hard yesterday that I was uh, – <laughs> I didn't know that I had gotten armbarred so hard until I got <laughs> home. And then I was like, Matt Elkins. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to Matt Elkins. <laughs> All right, what else, Coach? Anything else? I think that's it. All right, join us again next week. So we do this every Thursday. Thursday's podcast day around here. Me and Lindsay go live with Brandon and Lindsay have a podcast now around 10 a.m. And then we go live with Around the Mat here at 1.30 p.m. This is all central. And then at 4, I think it's actually 3.30 our time. I can't remember what time the PGF Insider goes live with Wallow J and those guys. So there'll be a, another podcast specifically devoted to the PGF every week nice. on Thursday. comes up right after this. So you got to stick around. If you're not subbed to the channel, please subscribe, hit like, share with your friends. This is a fun format, dude. I really love doing Oh, yeah, it's my favorite, man. It's my favorite. I'm having so much fun with this, and I feel like it – I don't know. It just it gets the ball rolling. Everybody gets to kind of – he says that after he wins an episode. Yeah. He's like, I love this. feeling really a lot better about this, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't like it before this. No, this is the best. Especially, Thanks, it's particularly good when I win. <laughs> Definitely better for the people when I win. And then, again, those of you who are inclined to do so, please think about joining the YouTube channel. Right? It's 99 cents a month is the baseline one. You get exclusive member-only videos. Um, the training that we're doing in the gym. So my classes are going to be filmed. They're going up live, real time. Nice. And then if you, but if you want to go back and watch them after the fact, you have to be a member of the YouTube channel. All right. And, you know, we're just filming them live. It's not a professional setup, but you get to follow what we're doing. Well, I say it's not a professional setup. It's way more professional than most instructionals right out the gate, just the way we're doing it. But you get to follow along with our curriculum and our classes in real time and see what it is that we're actually working on. So I added that in because it's been requested so much. So we're doing four, minimum four lives a week, every week with our classes, two hours at a time. So 
if that interests you, definitely jump on and join the YouTube channel. Become a bread eater. Show them what happens when they become a bread eater. Play the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bread eater. <laughs> Smells like bread in here. <laughs> and that's what happens if you join the YouTube channel. We'll play that for you. <laughs> All right. That's it. We're out, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.